0: If you are ready to get in to the word tonight, say, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask that you do something. We don't do this uh, every week, but uh, I think it's appropriate tonight. Would you stand to your feet? And we're going to read our scripture tonight. I know you've been up and down a little bit, but every now and then i just like to have us stand for the reading of God's word. It just kind of reminds us of the reverence that we bring to this book Um it's not legalistic, it's not like a, you must do this every time, but I think sometimes it's good just to remind your soul, this is not a literature book, this is not even a history book, but this is a divine book from the maker of creation to us, and so that's what we're getting into tonight. So I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 5, sorry, I should have told you that earlier. Romans chapter 5, if you got yours, you can turn to it, or maybe we just write it down. I just want to read two verses, That's it's going to kind of get us going tonight. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, if you're ready to say amen. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that one again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for doing that. I was talking to a high school student recently. Anybody remember what it was like to be in high school? Fun days, right? I was talking to a high school student recently, and he was telling me, I think he's a junior, he was telling me that he just got his first speeding ticket. And um, anybody in the room never gotten a speeding ticket? You've never been, wow, everybody else just look around. These are the holy people, the people abiding by the law. All of you that did not raise your hand, we're going to have a time of repentance after the service. He was telling me that he just got his first speeding ticket, and he was uh, pretty upset because it cost him a whopping $125. Now, I don't know. (laughs) Some of you had the same reaction I did. I don't know if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, but I have. I've gotten quite a few of them. Sorry. Sorry gotten quite a few, but I remember my very first speeding ticket. I could tell you exactly where I was in Duluth, Georgia on Peachtree Industrial Boulevard going. Was I? I don't remember which direction I was going, but I could tell you exactly where I was in Duluth, Georgia. The hill I was going up to was a speed trap went from 55 to 45 and they don't make the signs clear enough. And then right over the top of that hill, that little joker was sitting right there. All due respects, ma'am and sirs. He was sitting right there, and he turned his lights on, pulled me over, and uh, I was heading to church, too, okay? I was heading to church, and I had my 10-year-old sister in the car with me. I was 16. I had my 10-year-old sister in the car. And this police officer, all due respect, decided to rub it in that I was driving dangerous with my 10-year-old sister in the car and decided just to make me feel guilty for doing that. And so that does not re- relevant to our story. I just wanted to say that made me upset. And I'll never forget because it was my first ticket. My ticket cost me $450 and a weekend at driving school or the Saturday morning thing. I had to go for several hours. $450 for a speeding ticket and a weekend at driving school for my very first Speeding ticket. Now, I remember showing up to uh, court that day. (laughs) My parents made me go by myself. It was like, you know, you better learn your lesson kind of thing. So I remember showing up that day and I remember showing up every other time I've gotten a ticket, which I won't tell you how many, but I've been to court quite a few times. And um, every other time, and I remember having this feeling in me. I always had this feeling leaving the court after you have to go in front of the person and tell them, are you, are you guilty, not guilty? Uh, I think NOLO is the other term. I can't really remember. All of you others who have been to court, you know what I'm saying. Um, but I remember leaving court after this and always having this like sinking feeling of like, have I done everything I was supposed to do? Like, are you sure? Like, have I, have I paid? I remember like sliding the little check to the lady and, and she'd go, okay, you're good to go now. I'm like, are you Sure. I'm good to go. This is all I got to do is pay this, go to this class, and now I'm good to go. I just had this fear that, like, I'm going to leave this building and the FBI is going to show up at my house and say, you forgot to check a box or something. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. I just wanted to make sure, am I I good to go here? Am I free? Am am I clear here? I just want to make sure. The verse that we just read, this is called a transition. Y'all like that? The verse that we just read, there's a word in there. And the word is justified. Did you hear that word when we read it? Justified. It is a legal term, literally used in like legal circumstances in court, that literally means to be made right. Or if you're still thinking in kind of court terms with me or you've got that visual in your mind, it's like a judge telling you, okay, you are good to go. Your wrongs have been made right Your wrongs are completely gone, and you are good to go now. This is what it means to be justified. Now, the basic question in all of religion is pretty much this question. How can human beings be made justified before a holy God? Can I attempt to be a professor tonight? Is that okay? Starting off strong. Can't get the marker top off. (laughs) That's a real thing. Um, So the basic problem is this. You've got humans. And you've got God. And the basic issue is that there is a massive gap between us. And the question that all religions are asking is how do human beings bridge the gap? How are humans justified before God? And all religions answer that question with some sort of way by saying that human beings must get themselves to God somehow, some way. They have to do enough good things, they have to perform enough duties, they have to do the right rituals, the right sacrifices, but humans must get to God, except. God. For the way of Jesus, except for what it means to be a Christian. Now, this, this to me is part of the reason why the way of Jesus is so compelling to me. And I would just urge you, if you're in the room tonight, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. Maybe, maybe you're just kind of interested in religion. You're not really sure what you are. Maybe you're a completely other religion. Maybe you're atheist or agnostic, whatever you are. Can I just, just tell you, Regardless of what you are, the most compelling thing about Christianity to me is that it sets itself apart from all other religions in this way. That it is not primarily a story about humans get to God, about how humans get to God, but rather a story of how God came to humanity. And that sets it apart from all other religions. Now, let's keep unpacking it a little bit. One of the problems with how do we get to God is this. I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah says this. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They are like filthy rags. So here is the issue, is that we have sin. And God is holy. And all of our righteous deeds. So he's saying everything that we try to do to get to God, they are like filthy rags. He's not impressed by them. Every act that you do. Now, this doesn't mean that good deeds aren't a good thing and you shouldn't try to do good works. That's, we can read the book of James and find that out. That, that, is, that is important. That is a part of a believer strives to do those things. But when it comes to how do we bridge this gap, all of your good deeds just simply fall flat. They cannot do what is required to bridge the gap. In another passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Meaning this, no one can do what it takes to bridge the gap. Every single one of us falls short. So, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news tonight, but the reality is, is that we are all screwed. We don't stand a chance. You cannot bridge that gap. And yet there is a solution for us. And that solution is that in his great mercy, I want you to hear that word and put it into your mind. In his great mercy, God sent his son Jesus to solve the sin problem and to bridge the gap. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this For since death came through a man, meaning death came to Adam, when Adam and Eve sinned, death came through a man, sin came through a man. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam, all died, we all have now sinned because of Adam, sin entered the world. So in Christ, all will be made alive. So, the good news tonight. Ooh, that just broke. Can you see that? So the solution to the gap that none of us can jump across, none of us can do enough good deeds to get across anyhow, any way that we try, the solution is that Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for us, and he bridges the gap. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus's death, and I want to give you tonight just two realities of the death of Jesus and what happened because of it. Number one is this: I want you to hear this tonight. That in Christ, remember this: in Christ, I am justified. That's the word that we read in the very beginning in Romans chapter five. In Christ. I am justified. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Now, I want to take you back to the courtroom. We talked a little bit about the courtroom. Okay, I want to take you back here. I want you to imagine that you are in the courtroom. And you're there this time, not just for a speeding ticket. You are there for some crime that you have committed that is absolutely horrendous. And you are now facing the death penalty. Your life is going to be taken because you have committed this crime. So you're standing here in the courtroom, and you walk up to the space, and the judge is about to hand you your verdict. And out of nowhere, he says, son, daughter, you're free. You're good to go. You are justified. Meaning your wrongs have been made right. They are gone completely, and you are good to go. And you're like, sweet, let's go. And as you go to walk out of the room, the judge says, hey, just so you know, the penalty for your crime has been taken care of. But it wasn't that it was erased. It's not just that it disappeared. It's that the penalty of your crime was placed on somebody else. And someone else voluntarily, raised their hand and said, I will take his or her death penalty for them if you will let them go. And so the judge says, you are justified. But not just that we're just forgetting about it and letting it go, but that the penalty that had to be paid because he is a just judge and there is such a thing as justice. It had to be paid. And so someone else has volunteered to pay it. And for us tonight, you need to know that that person is the person of Jesus Christ. So hear me, God is a just God. He cannot lie. He only stands on truth. So for God to declare you as righteous, you as justified, the penalty for the sin that you have committed, the crime that you have committed is death so death has to be paid. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. And so God in the most radical act of love and justice combined together does this one thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this. It says God made him who had no sin. That is Jesus Christ who came to live on this earth and lived for 33 years before he was crucified, and he never once sinned. Therefore, he was completely righteous. Nothing about him was wrong. God made him who had no sin, made him to be sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. We might become righteous the righteousness of God. So let's come back here. Here at the cross is righteous. God made Jesus who died on the cross to be righteous. And yet what happens at the cross is he switches places with you and with I. And what happens is he gives human beings his righteousness and he takes on the weight of Of the sin of the world, including you and me. So, for those who put their faith in Jesus, they now have the righteousness of Jesus. And so the gap gets closed when someone declares, I trust in the righteousness of Jesus on my behalf. And it literally switches places and you get his righteousness and he bore the weight of all your sin, past, present and future, bore it on the cross and was crucified for you. And because of your belief in him, you are now justified. You are now justified. So when God looks at human beings Those who have put their faith in Jesus, the one who was crucified on their behalf, those who put their faith in him, God does not see an outstanding payment that still needs to be paid for sin. What he sees is a payment paid in full that his son Jesus took and he paid it in full for those who would put their trust in him. So that is what it means to be justified, that you are now free, you are good to go, but only because someone took it on your behalf and you are now righteous, but someone took on your sin and paid the penalty for your sin, which was death. Now, number two, not only in Christ are you justified, but in Christ, I am redeemed. I just want to hit on these two words tonight, justified And redeemed. In Christ, I am redeemed. Now, the reason I like to separate justified and redeemed is because justified speaks of my position in Christ, that I am hidden in Christ behind his righteousness, and he has my sin. But redeemed speaks to not who I am in Christ, but my relationship to Christ. So justified is my relationship in Christ and who I am in him. Redeemed speaks to my relationship to him. Let me talk about redeemed a little bit. You see, redeemed means literally, quote, to buy back, to buy back. When someone says, I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, they're saying, I have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Redeemed speaks to what it cost for you to be justified redeem speak to what speaks to what it cost for you to be justified the cross the death of jesus the perfect righteous son of god is what it cost and through his death you were redeemed you were bought and the reason i say that it speaks of your relationship to christ is because the cost is an indicator, listen closely, the cost is an indicator of the value you put on something. It's an indicator of the value. If you are willing to spend $1,200 on an iPhone, is that what it is right now? What's the new one, 1,200, 13, 14? Something like that, right? If you are willing to spend upwards of $1,200 on an iPhone, it's because you, you value that. You really don't want to be the green message in somebody's phone. Shout out to you, green messages. You really value because you are willing to pay $1,200 for a phone. But how about for a millionaire? Or for some of you who <clears throat> your parents are still supporting you, no shame. Soak that up as much as you can. Who just, you know, $1,200 ain't nothing. How about for that person? I mean, what is the value of a $1,200 iPhone for someone who, $1,200, that's nothing. But what if I told you that that iPhone, not only is it $1,200, but it's the only one in the United States. And there's no possibility of you ever getting another one. Does that increase the value of it a little bit? The answer is yes, right? I think the fact that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Are you familiar with that verse in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he sent his what? Only son. I think that gets like, we just brush past that real fast sometimes. And we don't think about the significance of only son speaks to the value of what it cost him to buy you back. He sent his only son to die on the cross for you and for me. You have been redeemed. For those of you who put your trust in Jesus, you've been redeemed. You've been bought back, and it was a high price. I was thinking about a story in the Old Testament. It's a story that you don't really hear a lot of, but it's a story about a guy named Hosea. Anybody heard of Hosea? Hosea is a small little book in the Old Testament. And um, you can kind of brush past it and not really think much of it. But Hosea lived about 750 years before Jesus came and he gave his life for the sins of mankind. And Hosea was a prophet. God raised Hosea up to be a prophet. And prophets were people of God that God would speak through. So he would send his kind of messages through prophets. Like, go and tell my people this. Or, or go and send a message about what is coming in the future. He would speak through his prophets. Now, it wasn't often, but every now and then, God would not only ask a prophet to speak to his people regarding whatever he wanted to say, but he would ask a prophet to live and be an example, like an actual human example Of who God is. And so he would allow prophets to go through certain kinds of situations and circumstances that would indicate and be a mirror of who God is and what his love for us is like. And so he begins a story through Hosea that I think is one of the most overlooked stories in all of the Bible. And I want to share a little bit of it with you tonight. Hosea was given a ridiculous assignment. I mean, it is absolutely absurd what God asked Hosea to do. God says this to Hosea. He says, Hosea, you are a man of God. You are my prophet. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, Hosea. I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. In fact, many scholars actually say that what he asked Hosea to do was to marry a prostitute. So he asked, Scripture, not yet, not yet. We're getting there. (laughs) He asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Now, this is a holy man. This is a man of God. This is, you know, a, a man who's known for his outstanding character, a man who's known for his standard of living and how he keeps the law, and he's this righteous man, and he is asked to marry a prostitute by God so Mary, so Hosea marries a woman named Gomer. So Hosea and Gomer. Gomer was a promiscuous woman, a prostitute. And they begin a relationship. They marry each other and they actually end up having kids together and things are looking to be kind of relatively good for this married couple. And then one morning Hosea wakes up and Gomer's gone. She's left him. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened to Gomer or why she decided to leave. All we find out next is what Gomer decided to go do. And we find out that what Gomer actually did is she went back to her old lifestyle. She decides to leave her marriage, to leave her kids, and to become a prostitute again. Now, surely this is reason for Hosea to just say, God, you you have asked too much of me. I mean, I listened once. I obeyed once. I did I did that. But God, I mean, now you're talking me, righteous man, man of you. Now you're talking about my wife committing adultery and, and going back into this dirty world. God, surely, surely I'm good to go, right? And the story gets even more ridiculous. Hosea is now a single dad of three. He's likely embarrassed i mean he took a step of faith to to marry this woman and now she's done this and if that wasn't enough this is what god asked him to do hosea chapter 3 says this the lord said to me go show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another man and is a adulteress love her as the lord loves the israelites though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Verse two, so Hosea does this. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. Here's what I want you to hear. Hosea goes and he buys his wife back. And God is using this story and he's using the life of man, of a man to reveal his character and who he is and his covenant love and mercy toward his people, which will remain and he will be faithful to his people, even in their Rebellion, And God asked Homer to do the same thing. And he says, I will demonstrate to my people what love actually looks like. One scholar says that other than the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest expression and demonstration of God's love in all of the scripture. Go get your wife. Go pull her out of the darkness that she is in. Imagine what that was like for Hosea. I just imagine him like walking through looking for her and he shows up into the dirtiest, grossest place you can imagine. Many people think that he literally walks into an auction where his wife is being sold and where she wants to be sold. And he walks into an auction and he says, she's mine. And they go, Gomer? You mean the woman who was doing this years ago, and you came and got her, and then she left you, and now she's doing it again, and you want to buy her back? He says, she's mine. I want her. How much? And he pays whatever it costs to get her back, and she gets redeemed. She gets bought back, and here's what's crazy. She was already his, and he buys her back. You see, the scripture says that everything in this earth belongs to the Lord. Every human being that has ever lived belongs to him. And yet, in your rebellion, you're far from him. In fact, the Bible tells us that for those who are not in Christ, those who have not accepted Jesus righteousness, that you are an enemy of God. So he created you, he loves you, but you are at odds with him. You're an enemy of God. And yet he is, he is like on a on a hunt for you to buy you back. What's fascinating to me is later on in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is being being like criticized by people because he hangs out with sinners. And, and, and they're like, man, who are you to be doing this? And he quotes the book of Hosea. So this is all the way in Matthew and Jesus quotes the book of Hosea and he says this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Those who can't make it to me, which by the way is every single one of us He says, I come to seek and save the lost. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he's quoting the book of Hosea. Every single person in the room would have known. He's talking about Hosea. He's taking that from the story of Hosea. When he's talking about the guy who just, who went and bought his wife back after she did all this stuff. He's talking about the guy who had extreme mercy on his wife. To not just like, all right, I, I, I'll, I'll take her, but to say, I'm gonna go find her and whatever it costs, I'll give to have her back. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's talking about his own mercy. What he desires is to give you his mercy. That when you are long gone, you are far, you have rebelled, you have gone away from him. You are an enemy of God. He desires to give you and to show you his mercy. Not your sacrifice. Not your attempt at like like impressing him somehow. That's not what we're doing here. What he desires is to shower you with his mercy. He's literally telling everybody, I am Hosea in the story and you are Gomer and I've come to buy you back. I've come to redeem you. That's the story. That's what Jesus has come to do. So let's talk about you. You are lost and helpless and in a desperate need of a savior. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to just dial in with me real quick. You are lost and helpless in desperate need of a savior and you are running to life, to circumstances, to things, looking to fulfill you and complete you. But there is a God who is so ridiculous about you. He is so extravagantly in love with you. His love is unconditional, extravagant, extreme. He would go to any depth to buy you back. And that is his posture toward you. He would go to any darkness for you. Any darkness for you. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Then you will be saved. And here's what I just felt like the Lord wanted me to do tonight. And maybe for some of you, these like theological terms of redemption and justification, maybe you're like, man, I've been reading that since I was a kid. Great. I hope tonight is refreshing for you. But I felt like what I needed to do tonight was to come and tell somebody, somebody, that God has done everything that He needs to do for you to be justified, for you to be redeemed, for you to be. Bought back. He's done everything he needs to do to bridge the gap for you to get to him. In fact, he has come to you. He came to you through Jesus. The way has been made. But for many of you tonight, there's never been a moment where you've said, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I've tried to. Everything I know to try to get across that gap. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to do all the right things. I've tried going to church. I've, I've tried to to check the list off. But some of you have never surrendered your life to him. And you've never trusted that he is what justifies you. And that he has come to redeem you, to buy you back. And I thought the invitation tonight was for some of you to do that. Listen, I talk to a lot of college students. And this is what I hear over and over and over again. I say, "Hey, tell me, tell me your faith story. Tell me your faith story." And in a town like this in South Georgia in the Bible Belt, oftentimes what I hear is this. "Well, I grew up a Christian." And immediately, those few words just trigger something in me. And, and and listen, sometimes I know what you're saying. You you grew up in a Christian household, but I just want to make it clear tonight: nobody grows up a Christian, okay? Because nobody grows up justified. Nobody grows up redeemed. There has to be a moment in each of our lives where we come to the realization that without the acceptance of what Jesus did for me and offering me His righteousness. Without the acceptance of that, I got nothing. And there will come a day when I will stand before him in heaven. And if he says to me, Austin, why should I let you spend eternity with me in paradise? And he will say the same thing to you. And if your answer ever begins with I and you're on the wrong path. Immediately, you've got the wrong belief of the gospel. Immediately, you're trying to bridge that gap with I. The only answer that is true, Austin, why why should I let you spend eternity with me in paradise? The only answer is you, Jesus. You have made a way for me. You took the punishment of my sin and you bore it on the cross. You've made a way, and Jesus, I just received that. I just gave my life to you. I just received your salvation. That is the only answer that will do when that moment comes. And what breaks my heart talking to so many college students is so many of you are banking on the fact that you grew up in a Christian home, or you grew up growing to church, or you go to church now, or you do your best to not sleep around, or you do your best to not do whatever, and you're just trying so hard, and I'm telling you tonight, if you have never made the decision to surrender your life to Him and to receive His righteousness and let Him take on your sin, if you've never done that, when that day comes and you stand before God, you've got nothing but I. I did my best. And I'm telling you, that will not suffice. The only thing is, Lord, you, 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 you paid it all. You paid it all for me. And Lord, I just received that. I just received that. And so that's all I want to do tonight is just say anybody in the room, anybody in the room tonight's your night. I know many of you have grown up in church. You've probably done seen this kind of thing happen a lot. Have you seen it in our church? I just, just believe that God's moving and his spirit is moving. And so right now, if you feel a tug in your spirit of like, I think think that's me. I, I think I need to give my life to Jesus. I think I need to repent of my sin. I think I need to let him carry my sin. I think I need to receive his righteousness because this whole time I've just been trusting myself. If that's you in here tonight, then tonight's your night. Tonight literally all day. I've just been thinking there's somebody in the room who needs to give their life to Jesus. And so I'm gonna do that tonight. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask for you to raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you to do it right here in front of everybody. Every eye open. I know sometimes we bow our heads, we close our eyes, and I get that. There's a moment of privacy and that kind of thing. But here's what I know. If you can't lift your hand in a church to say, Jesus, I give my life to you, tonight's my night, then you won't do it out there. I promise you. And you're in a room full of people who are doing our best to follow him, who have just received his love, received his grace, received his salvation, and we worship him. You're in that kind of space tonight. And so I'm gonna ask you in front of everybody, with everybody looking around in just a moment, for you to lift your hand and make this tonight the night. I was praying earlier with some other people and I just felt like God gave me this image that 20 years from now down the road, There's gonna be somebody in another state somewhere telling their testimony, their faith story. And what they're gonna say is, it all started one night at this place called Connection College Nights. I'm not even sure what it was called, but it was in Statesboro, Georgia. And this guy was preaching. I didn't understand half of what he said, but all I understood is that God was pulling me to give my life to him. And that's when I did it. For some of you, that's gonna be your story and it's gonna start tonight. So i ask for you just to lift your hand if that's you, if that's what you want to do. Tonight, I'm going to count to three, and then we'll do that together. One, Jesus loves you. He gave your life for you. Two, the Bible says that right now is the time for salvation. Do not wait another day. Three, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just lift your hand. Lift your hand. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Amen. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. Come on. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you right here. I see you. I see you. You can drop them. Anybody else? Last minute. You don't want to walk out of here going, man, I wish I would have done that. Anybody else? Tonight is the night for salvation. I see you. Come on, y'all give it up. Y'all give it up. That's right. That's right. So what I want to do for those of you who just lifted your hand, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Nothing magical about the prayer. There's nothing crazy significant about it. But it's just a prayer. Really, your own words are probably better than my words. But just a prayer, really saying that you believe this is true. And God, I I give you my life. I surrender my life to you, Lord. I trust in your righteousness. And I give you my sin. So before we do that, can we just all stand to our feet? We're going to worship together. And then I just want to lead us in this prayer. So if that's you, you just raise your hand. And I just want you to whisper this kind of in your own mind. or You can whisper it out loud however you feel comfortable, but just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender it all to you. I receive your free gift of salvation through faith. God, I have faith that you are who you say that you are. So Lord, thank you that you sacrificed it all for me. Help me to follow you. Help me to live for you, but thank you most of all that this whole thing is a story of your faithfulness to me, and I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person gives their life to Jesus, and we just had multiple. Can we just thank the Lord for what he has done? So we're just going to sing a song about the love of Jesus, that he chases us down and he comes after us and he will not let us go. So let's sing it together as a church family and let's rejoice that he has done that for us. Come on.